Today's podcast is brought to you by our very good friends at Practice Evolution Prime. Practice Evolution Prime was created to bridge the gap from school to success. You can be successful, you should be successful, and being successful takes work. You have to gain the skills and foundation to be the sought-after family chiropractor, and our goal is to create extraordinary family chiropractors. This program is not easy. It will challenge you. It will push you. We choose to only work with doctors and students who are teachable, principled, and willing to work hard to improve their skills, practice, and their lives. If you are interested in learning more about this program and to apply, or if you are a patient looking for a PEP Prime doctor, visit our website, pepprime.com. That's pepprime.com, or call the Practice Evolution Program at 801-281-1646. Hey everyone, and welcome to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Now, guys, I have to I have to say, out of all the interviews that we've done so far, this is the one that I've been really looking forward to the most because our guest today has a very unique experience in our profession, and he has a very uh, just robust amount of knowledge uh, in, in a very specific niche, and, and that is in neurodevelopmental um, and cognitive delays. Um, today, I'm honored and I'm privileged to bring on my mentor, Dr. Stephen Tullius. Dr. Tullius is a pediatric and family chiropractor specializing in the care of individuals with neurodevelopmental and behavioral conditions such as autism, ADHD, PANS, PANDAS, OCD, SPD, and epilepsy. Having a child with special needs, he thoroughly understands the gamut of personal, familial, educational, and health-related challenges. Through the use of advanced nervous system examination technology to assess the health of the nervous system, as well as manual methods to restore balance to that system, Dr. Tullius is able to see extraordinary improvements in quality of life of those he serves. He is the Vice President of the International Federation of Chiropractors and Organizations and travels throughout the country and internationally speaking at conferences and chiropractic colleges. Dr. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I'm so excited. I'm so honored that you have the opportunity to speak to some of the parents that are listening. I really want to get just going on this because you and I are probably going to be able to speak for hours on this stuff if we're not careful. Um, but, But first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about developmental delays. Um, one of the things that I see very predominantly in my practice is is cognitive delay in very, very young children. And you know better than most that our practice now serves mostly children under the age of five. And so we identify these delays very, very early. Um, and a lot of the times before they even come up as big symptomatic problems, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you see in your practice and, and how to identify these things before they become crises. Yeah, no, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Bronstein. I, I, uh, definitely seen a lot more and earlier on, um, and not just in my practice, but just out in the community, you know, you, you see these things everywhere and a lot of times parents 
aren't even aware uh, that their child is experiencing delays. You see it in the eyes, especially um, lack of focus. Um, you see it in um, gait patterns and how kids are walking. You, you see it in um, you know, various like uh, self-stimulatory behavior. A lot of kids are very dysregulated in their environments. Um, there's a lot of different signs um, in my practice, like you said. You know, we're seeing kids earlier. Typically, um, kids come to me usually between the ages of three to six or so. Um, and so fortunately, it is being recognized earlier on. Parents are um, seeing it. They're seeing they're more aware because it's so it's so rampant. So, um, you know, they're seeing their friends experience it and go through it. And then I think parents are even hyper aware um, to a point of many parents are afraid and scared um, of of these delays impacting their own children. Mm. You know, I had this conversation with uh, with a few of the other doctors that we've spoken to in the past. Um, you know, a lot of the old school docs who've been doing this for a really long time are, are much more um, oriented towards health development and healthy kids. But you know, in my practice. And I, I suspect in your practice, you're, we're seeing sick kids. I mean, we're seeing really, really sick kids. And that's our niche, and that's what we attract. That's that's what the universe sends us. Um, but in a chiropractic office especially, I find that we identify the underlying causes of a lot of these things a lot earlier because that's what we're trained to do, and that's what we look for. And so parents end up bringing their children into the office um, because they haven't really gotten any answers from other docs, right? I mean, when it comes to autism, and let's just talk about the elephant in the room, like the, the paramount, the most common, uh, you know, cognitive delay that we're going to see is going to manifest as autism. Um, parents are handcuffed right now. I mean, there's no standard of care to address this this massive explosion of autism in our communities. Um for the parents that are listening, and I know a lot of them are, are patients in chiropractic offices uh, right now, um, what what are you looking for? I mean, when you tell parents, um, you know, to be on the lookout in their communities uh, for these types of children, what types of things are you looking for in children maybe before they're starting to exhibit the full-blown symptoms of cognitive delay? You know, you're, you're looking for um, typically first signs of um, digestive disturbances. You know, you will typically see um, that early on, uh, chronic constipation or uh, diarrhea, really, um, uh, you know, stools that are just not well formed um, and just really stinky. You know, that's that's one of the classic um, signs of, of uh, imbalances going on that then lead to chronic inflammation and, and brain inflammation, which, um, you know, is... Uh, Many times that's the, you know, in autism, that's what's really going on. There's, there's major inflammation in the brain um, caused by this, this gut imbalance and nervous system imbalance. So um, that's one of the early things to look for. A lot of times it just gets passed over because people don't know what's normal. You know, they don't know. You know, they go to their, you know, their pediatrician and they're told that, you know, not having a bowel movement for four days, five days, six days is okay, you know, or... or or if it's not okay, then then they're given some medication to uh, stimulate the bowels instead of looking at some sort of cause of the dysfunction. So, so you know, I think a lot of times, you know, 
the signs are there. They're just not being recognized early on. Other other signs, you know, are children who um, are not making eye contact. Uh, kids who I, I see a lot of times, uh, kids are not talking. They're definitely showing signs of of delay. Yet, yet parents and providers just keep waiting and waiting mm. and waiting. Even though there's multiple signs, they, they just keep waiting, saying, "Oh, they'll they'll talk soon. It's it's normal. It's okay." And and you know that's that's typically not the case. There's there's some delays that need to be addressed. You know right away. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the common denominator with pretty much every pediatric doctor that I've spoken to uh, over the course of the last three, four months since the podcast started is is with digestive distress, right? Lower digestive distress especially. And it's so stinking common, um, as you talked about, that now it's becoming the new normal. You know, I think the record in my clinic uh, so far for constipation, as in the child didn't have a bowel movement, was 13 days. And the pediatrician was saying, oh, well, you know, It'll happen when it happens, you know. I mean, this this child had a bowel impaction and gut permeability issues, notwithstanding, like you got, you know, um, uh, gut flora dysregulation, whatever you want to call it, dysbiosis, notwithstanding. I mean, this is not okay, right? Because these children, you know, they're making serotonin and dopamine based on some of their digestive habits, especially in the early stages, early stages of life. And they're, if they're unable to make these neurotransmitters, if they're unable to mount an appropriate immune response, that chronic inflammation uh, becomes global, right? And you're talking about brain inflammation. I mean, one of the biggest things that I see with my children who are very sick is blood-brain barrier permeability, right? And for the parents who are listening, I mean, it's not super important that you understand what that is. It basically is just a pathway for... Uh, global neurological inflammation. When the brain is inflamed, it's not developing the way that it's supposed to. And in the first, uh, say, what, 24 months of life, maybe maybe 36 months of life, um, the brain is growing at a faster rate than it'll ever grow at any point in that, that child's lifetime. And if it's inflamed the entire time, then things are going to misfire, right? Um, eye contact is another thing, right? Um, eye contact is a big problem. If the child is not able to identify things with his eyes and then keep his eyes level on the horizon, scan and pan from side to side, um, actually identify other human beings and assign meaning to that in the uh, prefrontal cortex. I mean, we got big, big issues. It's not okay. Um, I, I'd love for you to comment a little bit on this too, because I know you're in San Diego, Steve. Um, Dr. Stanton Holm was on my podcast from the very beginning and Stan actually, um, he, he provided a lot of really good content about how things are running down there. It's a little bit more of a progressive environment. But up here, when I see children who have cognitive delays, they've already been through the, the whole process, right? They've been through PT, occupational therapy, and speech therapy, right? The trifecta. And nothing seems to work. Right, these kids are still not talking. As a matter of fact, I just did a consult with a family yesterday with a two and a half year old who's never once said one word. She utters, but she doesn't put language together. And finally, the parents are like, "Well, this doesn't seem right." And my response was, "No kidding, it's not okay." <laughs> um, so I'm curious down in San Diego. You know, is that pretty similar? Is that the type of thing that you see in that more progressive community, or, or do you find that parents are still kind of? Um, uh, kind of taken aback, you know, by this type of stuff. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, when when I do work, I do a lot of workshops. Um, you know, I do about once a month. I do a workshop in my office on neurodevelopmental uh, disorders. And what I discovered early on, I've been doing this for four years. I discovered that there's a big um, uh, rift in the 
uh, autism, ADHD, um, you know, all this disorders. In, the, in this community, um, there's this big divide between parents, there's a big divide between providers, and there's a big divide between even researchers, you know, looking at these issues purely from a genetic, um, you know, uh, predetermined fatalistic perspective that, you know, the best we can do is symptoms uh, that this child will always have um, versus that these are uh, treatable conditions that have a biomedical um, uh, basis. And so, you know, these, there's these two extremes, and it actually, I didn't realize this at first, but then I started to see, well, I was getting invited to certain support groups, but not to others. And, mm -hmm. and so it's because of this rift. And so I, what I always tell people, you know, anytime there's an extreme, you know, there's extremes, there's, the answer is always somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, the, yes, there's genetic components to this, genetic predispositions, you know, in many cases with kids who cannot uh, detoxify um, as well as others. Um, but the thing is, you know, that in either case, whether it's, um, the child is more, their problem is more genetically driven, or if it's more a true biomedical case, um, we can always improve quality of life, hmm. you know, no matter what. And that's, and that's where I, I try to meet everybody. So I tend to live in a bubble though, because I'm, I'm attracting people who are ready to hear a different message. Hmm. They've they've been through it the the ABA they've been through the speech therapy and the OT and, and not that those things aren't good at times you know they absolutely have value but but it's not it's not working you know completely it's not right. the whole picture right so so I, you know I think in San Diego we have a lot of people who you know I think are are, are thinking more progressively um, more open in general but we have you know there's a lot of people here there's a so you can attract, you know, sometimes we think it's more progressive, but it may just be that I'm just attracting the people that are ready to hear the message. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now you're preaching to the choir, right? Because I attract the types of patients that I attract and you attract the types of patients that you attract. I find, um, you know, I find... It, it, in, in, in my office in particular, there's definitely a steep learning curve. Um, and for those of you guys who haven't listened, you know, Dr. Tullius has a keen understanding of what happens up here because he used to own this practice, right? Um, I, I purchased Dr. Tullius's practice about, uh, ooh, holy moly, man. This is uh, going on the fifth anniversary, right? Um, in next March, okay. Um, and so Steve, he knows acutely, you know, how San Luis Obispo County kind of operates, especially South County, where there's a lot of agriculture, right? We use a lot of glyphosates and a lot of other, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, pesticides and whatnot, which can also affect, you know, vulnerable children. Um, but the reason I asked him about San Diego is because it seems like th there are no more of a of polar opposite communities really than where I live and where Dr. Steve lives. Uh, but we still tend to attract those types of patients. And I find that, you know, population wise, the children that I see with cognitive delays are, are still fairly similar and whether or not the density of those popula populations are, are greater or, or less great uh, remains to be seen. But the standard of care is essentially the same. 
right? When it comes to subluxation, which is essentially an alignment problem that contributes to a neurological consequence in these young children, whether it comes from environmental stress, when it comes from emotional stress, one way or another, that increased inflammation contributes to these problems. And I will say with pretty much 100% confidence, and I know, Steve, you'll agree with me, this problem is definitely worsening, right? I mean, it's, it's becoming more proliferative in our culture, right? But 2025, we're expecting one out of every two children to be diagnosed with autism or something on the spectrum. I mean, that's, that's egregious. For us to assume that, as you would say, that it all falls into one envelope, right? That all these kids are just genetically predisposed to autism, I think we're missing a huge part of that picture. Um, in your office, in addition to these signs and symptoms, what else are you looking for in young children um, you know, in, in, you know, maybe perhaps the first day that you see them with their exams or with their consultations with their parents, what are the common denominators that you see with these kids uh, that you hope to see eventually improve? So, you know, the primary thing that I'm looking for and, and the, what I want to, you know, after obviously meeting the child, seeing how they're interacting with me, seeing how they're uh, just uh, taking in the environment, you know, are they, do they feel comfortable? Are they afraid? You know, just, you know, the general, you know, I, I take in a lot of information that way. But the primary thing I want to do is I want to see what their nervous system is doing. You know, I, I want to see how is that nerve system, which controls and coordinates um, all of their functions, their cellular um, communication, you know, how, how is that system um, taking in information and processing information? And so... Um, we use here, we use uh, subluxation station insight uh, technology um, with paraspinal thermography and, and heart rate variability, which are, you know, the heart rate variability, as you know, is one of the gold standards for measuring autonomic nervous system function. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you listening, the basically it's that autonomic system is the automatic system. It does everything for us. It's divided into two sides, the, the fight, flight, or freeze side of things, which is there for survival. It's, it's triggered when there's a danger, whether real or perceived. And that's, that's a big point because many of these kids are stuck. They're stuck in a state of, of um, hypertension and stress, this stress state where their body is stuck and then it's stuck in development and it, because it can't get onto the other side of that autonomic system, which is the healing, resting, digesting, and development. And so I want to see where is this child's nervous system? You know, where uh, is it in a state of, of ease? Likely not since their parents are bringing them to me and they're experiencing all these various symptoms. So I want to see what degree of distress there is. And then is it being caused or, or greatly contributed to by uh, vertebral subluxation, that misalignment um, of the spine, which I find typically occurs most commonly in the upper neck. Mm. Yeah, almost uh, almost universally, right? I mean, C C one, the top vertebrae in the neck, C two, uh, and to a lesser extent, occiput, and some of these kids. And I know I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how occiput and C one contribute to things like epilepsy, uh, or at least the correlation that you see in your office. But yeah, almost almost one hundred percent across the board. Now, you know, and Dr. Steve and I, we're checking babies, uh, man, like as soon as they're born, right? I mean, the youngest baby I've, I've adjusted, you know, has been just a couple minutes old. The advantage that we have being trained the way we are is, you know, we get to attend home births from time to time and we get to check mom and baby immediately after. But if there's any kind of trauma or 
um, or stress in the process of the, of the birth, uh, especially in hospital births. Um, you know, that upper cervical, upper neck complex can be compromised and there's stress on the bottom part of the brainstem, which affects that autonomic nervous system that Dr. Tullius was, was talking about. And it may not necessarily be the cause of cognitive delay, but it can definitely set a snowball effect in motion. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that I've been noticing a lot more frequently with the children that I'm caring for is retained primitive reflexes. Um, and I'm not sure if that's something that you, you look at in your office, but I think it's something we got to talk about because I don't really talk about it all that much in my other podcast episodes. But primitives are these... Um, these baseline reflexes that children are mostly born with that help them jumpstart their neurological development at different benchmarks, right? So a moral reflex, which is the most primitive reflex there is, is a startle reflex that babies have when they're born to help protect them if for some reason they fall, right? Um, a rooting reflex and a suckle reflex are all essential for these young children because they need to be able to find the food source and they need to be able to actually accept the food um, without having to think about it, right? Um, one of the things that I see very, very frequently Frequently with uh, kids over the age of, of three months is a retained fencer's response, an asymmetric tonic neck reflex, or what's called a spinal glant re reflex. And we see this um, really frequently in ADHD kids. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of the time it's just not checked for. Right after the age of three months, if they're gone, you know the pediatricians, um, you know God bless them, they're just either not looking for them and they're not missing them. And we see them pop up almost predictably in these kids, which indicates that the nervous system has been has been affected in a negative way that causes it to kind of regress. Um, this is something I think parents need to take note of because, you know, if a child is showing signs of delay, and I know a lot of moms that listen to this, they have that mommy sense that something's not quite right. Um, that's something that we want those doctors to check for. Um, in addition to what Dr. Tullius was talking about, because I use the same technology, I do uh, paraspinal thermography, I do service electromyography, I do heart rate variability tests on all my kids. It's essential to see how their autonomic system is working. And anything less than perfect in a young child means there's something a little bit wrong there, right? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, I, um, I do look at the primitive reflexes, not, not so much, um, you know, on, on a regular basis in the office. I'm not, I, I'm giving my parents, um, uh, tools and, uh, resources through emails and like, um, videos on exercises that they can do at home. So, mm -hmm. So I give them I give them a that sort of information to um, to that where they can be empowered and, and do those things on their own. Mm -hmm. um, I'm typically looking more from a purely um, interference perspective, mm -hmm. and I'm expecting those things to naturally improve right. um, when when that interference is corrected. And that happens too, right? I mean, I, I do some neurosensory reintegration work if I have to, but we start with correcting subluxation because the nervous system, especially with a young child, is so adaptable, right? You remove those, those um, obstructions, right? You, you remove that interference, and then the body has a, a way of writing itself miraculously. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, with most of the kids that I see in my office, uh, you know, that's that's what we're doing, you know. And it's it's surprising. It's surprising to see how well the body is able to adapt. You know, it's funny. I was talking on another podcast, Steve. Um, I think it was the Artful Chiropractor. Uh, you know, we were talking about how, you know, I got into taking care of children. And 
I still remember to this day, man, the first time that I saw you adjust a kiddo because, you know, up until that point, I hadn't really been exposed to pediatrics. Um, and it was scary because right? I didn't know what I was doing. I graduated from a college where there wasn't a huge emphasis on pediatric care. And I didn't know really what to expect. But regardless of the kiddo, regardless of the symptoms, regardless of the history, right? An adjustment in a little child is so stinking gentle, right? There's so little input that is needed in order to remove that interference. And I, I still remember it, right? I remember the first time I saw this happen and I started to incorporate that into my own techniques. I started training very heavily with the International Chiropractic Pediatrics Association. And, you know, I, I find that less is more, right? Less is more with these kids. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what care looks like in your office when you see children, um, especially very fragile children, um, and what a parent can expect when they come through the door with their kids. Yeah, that, um, you know, I, I would say that the children have taught me um, <laughs> more about the nervous system than any textbook or individual ever could. Um, I used to look at the nervous system, I think, in chiropractic college and any healthcare, um, you know, providers uh, education, they just look at the nervous system from a mechanical perspective and that all nervous systems are the same. Hmm. You know, nervous system is like a fingerprint. You know, it's, it, um, I've never said that before, but, you know, thinking about it right now, it, it's absolutely like a fingerprint and that you have to understand the, the level of sensitivity of it. And, and and I think you've been, you know, you talked about functional neurology before. I know you've, you've studied functional neurology and you talked about metabolic load. And, you know, I, I heard you and then I didn't really understand what that really, you know, really meant um, until taking care of kids who have sensitive and fragile nerve systems. You know, some sensitive due to genetic um, nature, others sensitive because of trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, and so less is more, especially if you use too much force on a child who has a sensitive nervous system, this is going to make them worse. Yeah. You know? And so sometimes it's just light vibration. And, mm. and so taking care of um, these population of, of kids has really helped me to be a much better chiropractor to adults too. <laughs> um, because I, you know, my, I'm able to assess, I look at that individual's needs um, and my technique um, just is very different for every single individual based upon their nervous system's needs. And and that changes over time, over the course of their care. Mm. One, one day the child is initially may just need a, a very light vibration. And then other as we go down through care over, over the weeks and months, then that nervous system is getting stronger and, and needs a different degree of force. You know, right. still very gentle, um, but just, just a different adjustment as their nervous system is growing, healing and actually and learning and evolving. And that's so, so, so important. You know, I, I was on a podcast with Denisa Weber, uh, who has a great practice out in Dallas and, you know, she, Denise is brilliant. She just had some amazing things to say, but the most notable thing, um, was really about, you know, the experience of the doctor and the specificity of the application of an adjustment. Um, you know, taking care of kids is not about taking care of little adults, right? Their neurological requirements are very, very different, right? And even even between, you know, similar age groups, right, uh, it, there's, there's a variability like you were talking about and what the child needs. Um, but, you know, 
one of the things that Denise and I talked about quite a bit were, you know, questions that patients or parents can ask their chiropractor to determine whether or not that's a good fit for their children, right? And I find that, you know, there's essentially two different types of chiropractors who care for kids. There are chiropractors who are absolute 100% experts because they see a ton of children and they've cultivated their their technique and they've cultivated their approach based on years and years and years of doing this. And then there are chiropractors who use it as kind of like a business model builder, right? And it's unfortunate because it seems like it's a low-hanging fruit in our profession right now and it's almost ca- caveat emptor for the parents like buyer beware because you can't really tell what's what. So I want to use this opportunity, Dr. Steve, to talk a little bit about that, right? Let's let's set a bar for our parents who are listening who may not necessarily be patients in either of our offices so that when they go to a chiropractor, they know that that's the right place for their children. And, and I'll, I'll, I want to I um, just put a little uh, sort of caveat in there specifically before you answer the question. When you go to a chiropractor, when you bring your kids to a chiropractor, you should expect miraculous results. You should expect that their health has been optimized as a result of the care that the chiropractor is delivering. And if it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be cured by chiropractic care, but you should expect to see changes in your child's health overall. And if you're not, it means there's something wrong. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, Steve. I'd like for you to to kind of talk a lot about what parents should expect and then, you know, kind of walk them through almost, you know, the first couple of days or weeks or months in the office with, with their, their kids. Yeah, you know, the, the first thing, you know, the things to look for when, when finding someone, I think, you know, you, they, they should be using the term subluxation, <laughs> number one. Um, unfortunately, at this point in our profession's um, you know history, um, there's been a, a great split, a great divide, and, and some chiropractors are trained in a different school of thought and different techniques and different um, methodologies, and so they get very different results. Um, in fact, a lot of them don't see kids, but um, if they're not using subluxation in their office, that would be a, a red flag for me. Um, I think they should have some sort of objective um, measurements, you know, using um, neurological uh, scanning technology to, to assess the nervous system, and to and having progress exams to to um, follow up with that those systems to track the improvements. When coming into an office, like you said, they should expect results. You know, I I, I tell parents, you know, it's very simple. You know, if that nervous system is experiencing um, stress and, and interference, dysfunction. You know that system is there to regulate us, to to provide for repair and healing and, and optimal health and function. So if it's stress, if there's interference, and if someone competently removes that stress and interference, then the only possible way that human, that child could go is in an upward spiral of, of increasing health well-being and quality of life hmm. and so so and that's quite honestly that's that's why our profession is so beautiful and amazing and makes our job quite simple you know if you've learned how to do that um you know then it's it's easy hmm. um so you know does that mean you'll see phenomenal changes after one visit sometimes Maybe. not always um, how, however, there should be change, you know, within the first two months of care. I typically see kids um, twice a week. Some chiropractors see them three times a week. 
um, you know, for the first, you know, two months, corrective care, you know, and this is where I think, you know, for, for people out there, for parents, you need to understand that these changes, these, this stress that's been on in your child's, you know, health and nervous system, it's been going on for years, you know, oftentimes, um, depending upon their age and when the, the injury that the either chemically, uh, physically or mentally, emotionally, when that stress occurred, then it's going to take time and repetition, you know. And so the corrective process, I typically tell parents, corrective process is anywhere from four to six months in more mild to moderate cases. In cases of really severe situations, you know, we're we're seeing kids on 12-month care plans, and at the end of the 12 months, many times that child is still in some level of corrective or you know, supportive care mm. due to the intense um, uh, health crisis, you know, situations going on in their body. Mm. Um, so, so understanding that it is a, a process, um, it takes time to t- change those, you know, chronic stress patterns that have become embedded in the brain. You know, it's not just, you know, it's not just this, the spinal cord and the nerve system, you know, we're talking about these are patterns. These are patterns that have become um, embedded in, in, the, in the brain, both on a, a physical, structural connectivity and, and this information exchange. So it's so habitual, that, right, Steve? What's that? It's habitual, right? It's a habit that we're trying to unhabituate. Um, right. you, know, you talked about functional neurology. I'm reminded of a story that I've already told on this podcast once before, but it goes back to um, sitting down with Dr. Ted Carrick, who's a mentor of mine, who's a chiropractic neurologist. And you know, he, he was talking to us students when we were still in school about how the nervous system is constantly adapting, right? At every single second of every single day, you're constantly adapting to good stress or bad stress. You're constantly adapting to your environment. And so um, essentially, you know, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, definitely plays a role. But the real question I think that a lot of parents have is, well, how can a young baby, how can a child have that habitual stress already? Um, and that's a tough question, right? Because we've had a couple hypotheses about this. Uh, you know, it's, it's a question about why children are becoming sicker and sicker as the generations continue to go on. What are we doing so poorly in terms of our adaptive abilities that we're seeing all these crazy things happen now more so than we've ever seen them before, right? Um, there is a school of thought that says that autism always existed. It just was underdiagnosed. And then there's a school of thought that says that, um, no, actually, autism is a fairly new condition. It's something that we're starting to see, which is an epigenetic holdover from just generation after generation of toxicity and stress and nonsense. Um, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this and, and what you see as the future uh, for our children based on what we're seeing right now. Yeah, you know, the uh, we often hear that argument out there that, that we're just um, – autism really isn't on the rise, but that, um, you know, it's just better and earlier diagnosis. But, you know, you and I both know that it's not the case. That, um, one of the – there's two of the largest studies ever done on the rates of autism. One of them was out of Stanford. You know, the, they both um, came to the same conclusion, right, that only only 50 percent of this 800 percent increase could be accounted for by um, you know, better and earlier diagnosis. And, and they both concluded that that other 50 percent had to be the environment. You know, the environment's changing. You can't have a uh, genetic epidemic, right? 
And so um, I believe that, um, you know, and I look at these neurodevelopmental issues. I, I don't, you know, we like to categorize them as autism or ADHD or um, OCD or SPD, all these different labels. I, I look at it from one uh, global perspective, one umbrella, and uh, the the depending upon the child's symptoms or the child's symptoms and, and their label is largely determined by by when the injury or stress or trauma occurred whether it was while inside the mother you know because we know that um, our many children are now or potentially all children are bathing in a toxic environment now um, you know, there was a study out of Canada. It wasn't a huge study, but it showed over 200 chemicals in the cord blood that shouldn't be there. So we know that children are are bathing in this toxic um, environment uh, from conception, which is one part of the problem. And then then we have um, traumas that can happen, you know, physically, chemically, or mentally, you know, fr from the birth process itself to um, you know vaccine injuries to um, just the, the cumulative toxic nature of our environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if any of you have ever taken chemistry before, there's, you know, you, there's a procedure called titration where you have one drop of, you're adding one drop of uh, a chemical into a solution and, and nothing is happening, nothing's happening. All of a sudden, one more drop and, and there's a chemical reaction. You know, the, maybe the, it explodes or turns purple or something that, and so, so many times it's a cumulative effect. I think we're just, our moms are sicker and sicker. Yeah. Um, we're seeing that with autism and ADHD and all these things. These moms have chronic autoimmune issues, you know? And, and so, so the moms are getting sicker and sicker. The kids are getting sicker and sicker. And just like you said, with the epigenetic kind of rollover there, we're just, um, we're devolving hmm. you know, in some ways. And some people want to call it, um, neurodiversity and and um, and you know look at it from an acceptance model and, and I'm certainly not saying don't accept um, you know human beings for who they are and, and, and their current state and, but but this I would say is not a uh, positive um, evolution of the species right and right. I'm very concerned um, and I don't have the answer for how we turn it around. I think we each individually have to start living as clean as possible, um, controlling the things we can control, and start demanding more from our politicians waking up. Yeah, you know, totally. Up. This, this conversation, this should be the conversation of the day, not all the things that they're using to, to distract us out there. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I, you, you know, Steve, that I've been heavily involved in the political advocacy, you know, and I don't want to turn the podcast into a political rant, but I mean, we live in California and unfortunately in the state, we've had some pretty significant, uh, you know, struggles lately with parental choice. And the, the problem is that, you know, there, there is definitely some good science out there, but there's also a lot of junk science and a lot of it is open to interpretation. And the fact is, you know, chiropractors like you and I, we do see a ton more reactions to things like vaccines than the general population does. And the reason is because we are the people that tend to respect that opinion of the parents, the science notwithstanding, until so they feel more comfortable coming into our office. I mean, I, I, I can't even count, you know, on two hands, 
the amount of children who've come into my office because they've had a reaction that the parents see to a vaccination and they feel embarrassed to go back to the pediatrician or they feel bullied to go back to the pediatrician, right? Um, and I'm not saying, again, that, that vaccine injuries uh, occur super commonly. I'm not saying that they don't occur at all, uh, but there's definitely a correlation there in, the, in, in our offices, right? One of the things I think, and, and you can and feel free to, to comment on this, but one of the things that I think is really, really important for us to understand is that it's not just as simple as, well, there's mercury in a vaccine and so it's going to cause a toxic reaction, right? It's not as simple as, um, you know, we, we have certain children who are immunologically vulnerable, right? As you're talking about, like it tends to be uh, with cognitive delays in general, it tends to be sort of like an accumulation over time, right? A titration as you were describing, right? I, we just published a study um, which will actually uh, come out here in um, uh, hopefully in a couple of months or so uh, about a child that I was taking care of who was diagnosed with Hynex Scheinland purpura, right, immediately after an MMR vax. And it was actually documented by the pediatrician as one of those very rare uh, vaccination reactions, right? This kiddo is going to have kidney issues for the rest of his life as a result of this thing. So for us to say that vaccine injuries don't occur is totally ridiculous, right? How rare they are is obviously open to debate. And I know a lot of people who have autistic children are saying, well, yeah, my child has never been right after his MMR jab or after his DTaP jab. And I think it's important as doctors, right, you and I, to at least honor that opinion, right, and to look down the rabbit hole a little bit more closely at what's actually happening. One of the most common things I see with children who have had uh, temporal reactions to vaccination are children who have either mitochondrial issues that are genetic or epigenetic, uh, children who have methylation or detoxification issues, either epigenetic or genetic, uh, kids who have heavy metal uh, uh, chelation problems, either epigenetic or genetic. Um, and they're not being addressed or even looked at by the status quo, right? Things like glyphosate, right? Can that play a huge role in this? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can, right? We see a temporal relationship, but it's not being investigated, right? Which is the biggest concern. So what I'll say, and I'd love for you to comment on this, um, what I'd say is that for parents who are listening, who have children who you're suspicious of seeing delays with, we hear you. We absolutely hear you. And we believe you, right? Whether or not the science backs it up yet, we have a child here that needs to have, uh, need, that we need to change their trajectory for health, right? Which is, again, it's the, the theme of this podcast. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that without, you know, going into too much, you know, uh, much detail on this. But um, what do you think there? I mean, what do you think in terms of like what we need to do now to reverse this change, aside from like going after our politicians and everybody who's not listening to the individual parents? Um, what steps can the parents even take at home right now to kind of change that trajectory? You know, the, the parents need to realize, I think, first and foremost, that they are the caretakers of and the of their family's health. You know, it's not not that role should not be given to anyone, you know, outside of the family. You know, including myself or, or any doctor. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, we go to the specialist um, for guidance and for a plan. Um, but the parents really need to to take uh, control and. And it's scary because there's so much information out there. He's not sure where to turn to. Um, I would say, you know, really ask yourselves a few questions. You know, do you believe that the body's designed to be healthy or sick? You know, it's real simple. You know, most people, when I ask that question, well, obviously, yeah, it's designed to be healthy. So next question is, well, if, if your child's not experiencing optimal health and function, then there must be something then that took them away from that trajectory, that course. 
And so we need to get back to the basics, get back to the principles of where does health come from? Mm. You know, and I talk about the ingredients for health in my in all my talks, and everybody knows the ingredients. You know, we've been bamboozled, and we've been, you know, parents have been, especially moms have been, um, over the years, dec- you know, several generations, been told that they don't know the answers, but but we all know the answers. You know, positive mental attitude, um, uh, good clean nutrition, water, air, sunshine, everything, any living plant or animal needs Mm. we need to those are the ingredients for health Mm. the thing that's been missing throughout the ages the thing that we are ignoring and the thing that will get your child better is making sure that the recipe is intact you know it's the recipe that orchestrates all those ingredients and Mm. that recipe is the central nervous system that's the system that that controls everything If, if that system is off then, then nothing's going to work. So you got to start with the basics. You yeah. know, clean your house out of, of all the toxins that are in it, and and that might seem kind of daunting if this is kind of new to you. Yeah. Um, there's some good websites out there. I don't know them offhand, but just start to start to slowly purge and get rid of the toxic chemicals in your in your uh, laundry detergents, your soaps, your hair products, your you know, all the different places that it comes from because it's already out there in our environment. So we have to limit it as much as we can, any, any opportunity. Yeah. Um, your food, making sure we're eating clean, organic food uh, as much as possible, um, non-GMO. I'll tell you, my son, if he eats GMO versus non-GMO, corn, popcorn especially, corn, things like that, we see a major difference. Yeah. Um, in him like he he has an allergic reaction and his behavior Mm. his focus is way off his pupils dilate Mm. Um, so so it's not you know there's the stuff in those foods especially people that are sensitive um, it's majorly affecting them Mm. it's crazy it's crazy that you bring that up man i was just having a conversation with a with a patient that i think you actually know i'll talk to you about her uh, offline she has a kiddo who had a significant trauma when he was born um, but symptoms very, very early. I mean, he's three and a half years old. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's the quintessential textbook ADHD kid, right? Cannot focus, cannot get his act together. School's been suffering, comes in to see me. Um, and you know, we start working through things, but we hit a bit of a roadblock, you know? Um, I got some of the stability stuff, the stability markers worked out with him, but we're still having a hard time completely stabilizing. But then I found out like his favorite thing to eat, flaming hot Cheetos, right? Like the most toxic substance known to man. Um, not only, you know, is there a bunch of emulsifiers and, you know, artificial, you know, sweeteners and all that stuff, but the food coloring, I mean, it's a huge, a huge toxic load on this kiddo, right? We remove that instantaneously not only does kids start holding adjustments but his behavior starts to normalize he doesn't feel like he's wrapped up and anxious all the time you know and it's it's insane to me how boilerplate those recommendations should be how every single primary care physician should start working on this type of stuff and we don't because we just we allow that behavior to continue to go it's mutating our genetics over generations and we just keep coming up with drugs to try to dampen the symptoms right Um, these kids should not be eating this crap they should not be eating the same old, you know, like Wonder Bread, you know, the same old processed, you know, uh, lunch meats, the same old, you know, processed, you know, artificial packaged foods because their genetics are getting to that tipping point. We've had generations of titration, like you talked about before, where finally we were at that tipping point and these kids are so stinking sick. They have allergies to everything, right? The food supply continues to get worse and our ability to adapt to that 
toxic load is also getting worse in the opposite direction. Um, and so, you know, Steve, you're absolutely right. You know, the best advice, you know, I give for parents when they go home, aside from making sure they're seeing a chiropractor to make sure their nervous systems stay clear, is really keep an eye on what you're eating. Keep an eye on what you put in your body, right? Um, I know you've read uh, Craven, right? Volume three. It's one of the books that I'm going through. It's an old school traditional chiropractic philosophy textbook. But Craven, you know, he in the simplicity of this book, which was written in 1924, this guy basically lays out what the environment does to our nervous systems, right? In, in traditional chiropractic philosophy, we talk about innate intelligence, which is this internal biological directive of your body to stay healthy, right? To keep the ship level. And every single thing that you put into your body from the environment that makes it sicker, it, it basically makes that demand on that biological directive, that innate intelligence, much much larger, right? And over time, you continue to do that and even across generations, right? Even going back on the dad's side, multiple generations, it makes it much more difficult for the kiddo to stay healthy and to run that program. I mean, the healing directive is almost unrecognizable in some of the kids that we see, right? You have to start that habit from scratch in a lot of these cases, right? Um, I know you see kids in a little bit of a different setting than I do, but when I see kids with, with long-standing epigenetic factors, especially mitochondrial kids, I might check them three or four times a day just to make sure that they're holding, to make sure that we're not exceeding that metabolic capacity that you're talking about. Because I want to make sure that when they go home, they're actually building good habits, right? I'm not saying that this is the only way to go. That's just the way that I run things in my practice. But I mean, parents, you know, have to understand that if their kids are really, really sick, sometimes, I mean, it's, we're undoing a lifetime worth of changes in a very, very young child, right? Um, you know, I know your wife, Erin, you know, we've had some conversations uh, in the past about things like genetic, genetically modified foods. And uh, it seems like a lot of the time we're standing in a crowded room and we're yelling and nobody's listening to us, right? Um, <laughs> it's one of those things that parents, it, it, you just, it, one of the things that's really challenging, like in my office, you know, I talk to my parents about this all the time in our, in our new patient workshops. Like you have to try 10 times harder these days to be healthy than you do to be sick. Right. And so if it's challenging for you as a parent, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Having a chiropractor like Dr. Steve and I, it's, it'll help you kind of get through there. We'll help you coach it through the process. Go ahead, Steve. Well, then, you know, I think sometimes I, I take it for granted because I've been living this lifestyle for a long time. Now. Right. You know, it's, it, um, and so you know, I sometimes forget that it's, it's very new to a lot of people and you're right. It, you know, it, it does take work and it's more expensive, you know, it, uh, it's much, you know, it's a lot more expensive to eat organically and to um, buy, you know, although there's different ways through like CSA type programs mm -hmm. and things like that to mm -hmm. make it very, especially up, you know, by you where it's, you know, more accessible, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's lots of programs like that, but um, yeah, it's just, and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing at first. You know, that's what I often tell people because that can be overwhelming. You know, so I kind of start to just slowly, you know, weed things out, start yes. looking at the label, start if, it, if you can't pronounce the words or it, it sounds like a chemical, then you probably shouldn't be putting it in your body. You know? <laughs> right. I remember Chestnut used to say, you know, in terms of nutrition, uh, James Chestnut is one of uh, one of my nutritional mentors. He basically said, listen, like start by adding things, right? You know, if, if you if you know that you have, you know, an allergy and you're seeing your children uh, with, with potential cognitive issues, you know, start to react to certain foods. Number one, don't be in denial about it, right? Identify it. 
right? Be at peace with that and then start to add good quality foods on top of it, right? The biggest issue that we have with children who have sensory issues is that they only like, you know, three types of foods, right? They like uh, chicken nuggets, they like pizza, and they like macaroni and cheese. And it's mostly because there's, you know, a certain texture uh, there that goes along with sensory proclivities that these children can, can tolerate. But you can't just take it away, right? You can't just take it away right off the bat because these kids are going to lose their minds, right? And it's really, it's, it's hard. It's traumatic for the parents. And so, you know, we advise to do some, you know, very basic, you know, micronutrient supplementation sometimes. Like we, we start to add certain types of foods into their diets um, slowly so they can sort of like, you know, acculturate themselves to that new change in their, their habits. You know, same with chiropractic, right? You know, we, we start slowly with these kids, right? We start just implementing small changes here and there so that we at least give them small successes so they can build upon those successes and build new foundations. Um, so guys, you know, th this interview is, is running long as, as I suspected, you know, cause Dr. Steve is one of my favorite chiropractors in the whole world. He's a uh, stinking brilliant. Um, so I think what we're going to do, Steve is, um, we're going to put a cap in this and then I want to have you back and I want to talk about this some more, if that's okay with you. Um, this is, this is a huge, huge topic that cannot be diluted down into a 30 or 45 minute segment. And I think we just need to continue to go to, this road so that our parents have these tools. What I will say, folks, is that if you're listening to the podcast and you guys are down in, in San Diego or anywhere in Southern California, you know, it doesn't even matter if you guys are in San Diego because um, Dr. Steve is, is one of the foremost experts on this stuff. If you want to go down and see what Dr. Steve has to say, if you've had a kiddo that, you know, you suspect is showing some of these signs, he's the guy. Um, you can reach him at the Center for Health and Human Potential in San Diego. The website is sandiegocountychiropractor.com. Uh, Dr. Steve is also uh, starting a new endeavor, uh, which we just talked about in our pre-chat, uh, known as uh, healthiercidstoday.org. There's a bunch of really cool little inf uh, pieces of information in here. I just checked it out uh, while we were talking, and uh, there, there's some great resources there. I know Dr. Steve is doing talks and workshops in his office and in San Diego all the time. Um, go onto his website and see when he's uh, going to be available. Furthermore, uh, as you guys always know, you know, if you're not in our area um, and you need a referral, uh, Dr. Steve knows chiropractors all over the world as uh, one of the, the leaders of the International Federation of Chiropractic Organizations. Um, he's acutely aware of chiropractors, even in the most remote places of the world who can help your children. Same with me. Call our office if you guys have any questions. If you can't see me, I'm sure I'll be able to find you a chiropractor who can help your kids. Um, our mission is to help as many people as we can in our lifetimes, especially children. And we will find you somebody who will create access to chiropractic care for your kids. Dr. Steve, um, is there anything that you want to add before uh, I let you go on this one? No, I just um, thank you very much for the opportunity to share, and um, I'm super proud of all you're doing, and uh, especially this this uh, podcast, which is going to really tr help transform uh, the future of many, many families and children. So thank you. You're welcome, and I, I hope it will. Uh, parents, if you're listening and you want to share this content, by all means, please share it with your friends, share it with your family members, share it with your skeptical neighbors. If you're a doctor who's listening to this podcast, by all means, share it with every single patient you got so we can start to spread this word. We can start to normalize chiropractic and we can create access where there is none. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram. Use the hashtag normalizechiropractic. And uh, guys, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.